So we're um, moving this morning uh, to a different attribute. I've been kind of giving you selections um, of attributes sermon that I'm doing a lot in my work uh, in Maryland. And today uh, we are on to the attribute of God's aseity. Can you say it with me, children? Aseity. Okay, so aseity. What is aseity? I'll give the definition and then I'll read the text. Uh, this is Merriam-Webster online. Actually, not a bad definition, which is why I'm using it. Here's what Merriam-Webster says. Aseity is the quality or state of being self-derived or self-originated. Specifically, the absolute self-sufficiency, independence, and autonomy of God. So that's what we'll be thinking about. And we're going to do that um, at least to start from as a primary sort of root text from Romans uh, chapter 11 and verses 33 to 36. Uh, this, is, this text is in an interesting location in the book of Romans. So you might know that the Apostle Paul, when he looks at a church like the one in Rome and says, y'all got problems, um, what he always is doing is he's saying, well, the problems that you've got, they flow out of non-understanding, misunderstanding, not understanding or not knowing how to apply the gospel. So consistently in Paul's works, what he does is he takes the first part of the books that he writes, and this is actually consistent in Hebrews and Peter and pastorals and everywhere. This is the only way that this happens in the New Testament, is that he looks at a church that's got troubles and he goes, well, um, let me re-preach the gospel to you, because the only kind of problems that people have, and thus churches have, are gospel problems. So let me re-preach the gospel to you, and that's what Paul does in the first 11 chapters of Romans, and then you sort of hinge at this text, and you hinge into Romans 12 through 16, which is like, okay, now here's how to apply the gospel that I just re-preached to you, okay? So this is the hinge, and this is how Paul hinges from mostly gospel to mostly application. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgment, and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Did you guys, have I not taught you that yet? So I say this is the word of the Lord. You say thanks be to God. Let's try it again. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, sometimes when we come to um, an attribute like this, a part of your character that you've told us about and made extraordinarily clear, but is so unlike us. Uh, we can sort of check out, decide this is too hard or above our thinking level. And yet we, we cut ourselves off from awe of you. And we cut ourselves off for someone like me, from recognizing the temptation to grab a hold of things that are only in you, but I want for me. 
So help me uh, to not shy away from this. Help us not to. That we, um, let's see how crucial it is. That we try and understand this. That we might know you as you've revealed yourself to be and be in absolute awe of you. And that we'd humble ourselves and be content just being the size of creatures. So help us, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. So there's one word. So the title is Declare Freedom from Your Independence. Declare Freedom from Your Independence. We're going to do a lot of thinking today about independence. Uh, God has it. We crave it. We don't have it. That wrecks our lives. And how can God change us so that our craving for independence doesn't wreck our lives? I'll say that again because it was fast. God has it, independence. We crave it, but we don't have it. But that wrecks our lives. And so how is it that God can change us so that our craving for independence doesn't wreck our lives? Why do we want independence? Uh, we think independence will give us the freedom that we crave, that will finally make us happy. Uh, we live in a country that was founded on that idea. What's the biggest holiday in America? July 4th, which we affectionately call Independence Day. Uh, independence from tyranny in all its forms, whether from the right or the left, absolutely to be resisted, I'm down with that. But we've gotta be careful to not equate that with a spiritual viewpoint of how to live thoughtfully before the face of God. Why? Well, at least as it comes for humans, um, independence is a lie. It's not possible for us. And it's dangerous. And as such, it's corrosive. It's the most corrosive thing, in fact, in relating to God and actually relating with other humans. Let's think about that for a second. Why would that be our yearning for independence, why would that be corrosive? Well, with God, it jacks everything up because we're designed for a life of absolute dependence. And so our yearning for independence actually puts us at war with God. He says, you're absolutely dependent. I'm like, I think I'd like to be independent, thank you. And that just doesn't work. What about with people? Well, with people, our independency makes us incapable of intimacy. Because intimacy requires mutual interdependency. And that, independence prohibits. So jacks up relationship with God, jacks up relationship with others. Which is why you should declare freedom from your independence. Now we're going to work our way towards that conclusion as we make our way through Romans 11. So let's first begin to grasp God's independence. Look with me at these verses from Romans 11. Uh, Romans 11.33 begins with, oh, that's an interjection. But it's meant to stop you and like arrest you and make you go, okay, hold on a second here. There's something that I'm supposed to pay attention to, right? The depth. Uh, maybe in a previous sermon we've talked about how um, God has talked about as being unfathomable, that you can't get to the bottom of him. Right? Fathom was a way of measuring depth. 
certain knots a certain distance apart on a rope that you would drop into the sea to see how deep it was to fathom. How many fathoms was the water? Well, God is unfathomable. The depth of what? Riches, wisdom, knowledge. That's what God has and what Paul's praising him for. How unsearchable. You can't find them out. His judgment. How inscrutable. Um, the way I like to think about this to keep myself, seek to keep myself humble is, uh, Matt, you couldn't understand it if I tried to tell you how inscrutable his ways. And then a couple of quotes from the Old Testament. The first from Isaiah 40, verse 13, For who has known the mind of the Lord? Expect an answer. No one. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Only a fool has tried to counsel God as to what he should do, as though we were wiser than him. And then from Job 41, uh, Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? That somehow we, the little tiny creature, would somehow make God our debtor. Indeed, it's the exact opposite of all of that. Because verse 36, For from him he's the source of, of everything, so you have to kind of uh, take the end of this phrase and repeat it backwards to each one of these. So, for from him are all things, through him are all things, to him are all things. Okay, so for from him are all things. Remember, the doctrine of creation in scripture is that from nothing God spoke and made everything. So, for from him are all things, through him. So, think uh, Colossians. Um, 1, 16, 17, that the world, this is the Matt translation, the world coheres in Christ. Hebrews 1, 3, right? It, the world's upheld by the word of Jesus' power. So through him are all things. He upholds all things. And to him, uh, he's the receiver. He's the, the rightful one to whom everything should be directed. To him are all things. Why? Well, he deserves glory. He deserves glory. Which is why the way this ends is to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. So this is um, Paul trying to help you, or God through Paul, trying to help you begin to understand uh, the character of God, in particular his independence, that he doesn't, uh, he doesn't have need of us or of anything in creation being the source of everything. Now, so when we read through a passage like this, we're beginning to grasp God's independence. But it is, it's different, it's beyond us, it's overwhelming, which I, I have found, as I've tried to teach this through, through time to people, it can cause us to shut down, not worship. We're kind of like, oh, that's too complex, Skip. And so we don't actually like try and exercise our brains and hearts a little bit to get in the midst of it. God's mode of existence is so different than ours. Uh, the way that the technical theologians put this is that we always under change, we're always becoming. While God is not. He is. Uh, Puritan Thomas Watson says uh, of this, admire where you cannot fathom, admire, 
where you cannot fathom. Well, if we're going to keep getting a sense of God's independence and admire him, let's bring in another text here that I think is really helpful. If you've got a, a copy of God's word or you've got your phone or whatever iPad, um, turn to uh, Acts chapter 17. <coughs> this is a, excuse me, a related text uh, that will help us grow an understanding of God's uh, independence. Acts 17. Uh, starting in verse 24, <coughs> excuse me, we read this. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring." Being then God's offspring, we not, ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. And so if you have this right view of God, how are we, how are we supposed to respond to it? Verse 30, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, to turn away from views of God that are wrong, that elevate man and bring God down. And this is important, of course, verse 31, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. Who is that man? And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So Jesus being that one through whom um, God would judge. Now this uh, preaching here is Apostle Paul again, but not to a congregation, like in Romans, this is evangelism. This is him talking to people like people you know, that you live, work, and play with. People who believe very small things about God. And he's trying to help us have right-sized thoughts about God, very big thoughts about God. Now, the reality about God's independence, we can sort of look at it and go, well, that's kind of fun, theological, philosophical, you know, thinking. Um, but it's a danger if we sort of leave it there. Because it is, as the Romans passage leads us to, it's supposed to lead us, even demand from us, a response of awe and repentance even. And so let's, uh, let's tend towards that. And then second, Let's think about being awestruck at what God did with his independence. Let's be awestruck at what God did with his independence. Now, if I was God, and I was happy among the relationship of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, I'm fairly positive that I would not mess with somebody like me. I would not spend much energy on someone like me. I don't think I would really mess with people. It would just be a whole lot easier if you didn't. I mean, think of all of the mess that was made by God creating the world. Yet he does. 
Why? Well, Jonathan Edwards had a very good answer to that question. You can go read his long, his long essay on that this afternoon if you'd like. Um, it, it certainly would have been a lot easier if God hadn't chosen to mess with people. But thankfully, for your sakes, I'm not God. And so he didn't act like I would. He acted like he would. And what God did with his independence is striking. In need of nothing, purely flowing from love that issues forth in mercy and grace, the agent of creation, the second person of the triune God, becomes what? He becomes dependent forever, at least as regards his human nature. That's why we, we partake in the body of Christ. Uh, one of the passages in the New Testament that's very, very striking to me is you might remember that after Jesus arises from the dead, he's out, on, the disciples are out on the beach after a night of fishing, and they get a fire going, and he walks up. And do you remember what Jesus asks them? Do you remember what he asks? He's like, um, do you have a piece of fish? Have you ever thought of that? Why does Jesus ask, do you have a piece of fish? It's because he was hungry. He was hungry because he was in a body and he was dependent, at least as regards his human nature. And that forever for us. That's what God did with his independency. The one who not only didn't need anything, but made everything and upholds everything. The one in whom the universe coheres. What does he do? He becomes a needy, needy baby. Why? Because we needed everything. We needed everything. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 7 reminds us that all that we have is the gift of God, freely given out of love and grace. What God did with his independence was to love us all the way through, all the way through a hard life, a very hard life, ending with a cross and a tomb. And yes, a resurrection and an ascension, but in a body dependent forever. It is in light of God being like this and us being sinners who are full of guilt and shame and fear, it's on this basis that the gospel calls us to repent and believe, to, to abandon. What is repentance? Repentance is me basically saying, well, you know, I've tried that path of independency and it dishonors God, it really hurts other people and it does not work for me. And it's me basically saying, repentance is me saying, I've given up this independency project. And belief is me coming to Christ and saying, all right, so I've messed all this up and I really need you. I need you living dependent on the Father for my sake and living perfectly for me. 
The gospel calls us to repent and believe, to abandon our independent hopes of making for ourselves a full, happy, and satisfying life. As my niece, I can't remember if I told you about my niece. She's old now. But when she was two and a half, maybe, we used to watch her when Julian, Julian sorry, I forgot to introduce Julian. It's terrible of me. Um, my wife Julian's here with me, so greet her afterwards if you've not met her yet. She's distinctively the better half of us. Um, we, Julian and I are both youngest, and so we didn't grow up around little kids at all. And so um, she has two older sisters, and so her sisters started having kids before we did. And so we got to, we li all lived in San Diego um, at the same time when I was in seminary. We got to babysit her oldest sister's two oldest kids. So they would come over to our apartment, we'd make breakfast, have fun. Anyways, great pictures. Um, anyways, my little niece at that time, who's now married and um, lives in Spokane, she's, I don't know, 29 probably almost, so this is a long time ago, um, but you'd say, Cassie, can I help you with that? And she would look up to you, she'd put her hands in her little hips, and she'd go, by self. And she was at least honest enough to say what she was doing, right? Maybe we would do a little better if we were more honest. God's call to us is to depend on him and him alone. That's what it looks like to live a lifestyle of daily repentance and faith. Well, how should we react to God using his independence in such a marvelous way? What we should do is as a lifestyle to declare freedom from our independence. The most miserable people that I have found over time are professing Christians who seek to live partly dependent upon God. Yeah, yeah, I know I need Jesus to go to heaven. But they also live partly independent for daily living. I got this. Now, how do you know if somebody is living that sort of miserable existence? Um, there, is, there is one um, meter. I was driving, a, I travel a lot for work, and so I was driving Philadelphia maybe this week, and again in one of these cars, it's got all of this gizmoage to it. It was a Ford, and it's got this big display, and there's like all these buttons and gadgets and widgets, and you're like, I just want to listen to the radio, right? Or, 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 or I want to use the heat, or I want to plug my phone or whatever, and you're like trying to figure out, brand new car, trying to get to a meeting. Ah! Anyways, so... This big screen, all these dials, all the stuff going on or whatever. This is not as complex as that, I promise you. There's only one gauge to know whether you're living this miserable life. Whether you're living partly dependent upon God and partly dependent on yourself. Whether you're living by self. And that's prayer. Our way of expressing our dependency upon God is to say, I ain't got this. And prayer is that, right? I can't do this. I can't have this conversation. I can't help this kid. I can't love this, Julian's case, husband. Um, you know, it, it's, we, prayer is what reveals whether we're living dependent or not. You see, we weren't made to live independent. And it will drive us crazy if we quietly declare 
what God says only of himself in Exodus 3. I am who I am. Claiming self-existence, self-sufficiency, independency. It'll drive us crazy because we're actually not like that. God is the only independent one. And we aren't. And so when we try to be independent, it kills us slowly because we're trying to wrestle way, way above our weight class. And we lose every time. And our emotions show us that we're losing. When we try and wrestle above our weight class, when we try and live this independent way to live by self, we end up disappointed and frustrated and angry and depressed. Some people end up suicidal. Is that freedom? No. It's a prison. Is it not? While living independent of God seems to sparkle, catching the glance of our heart, thinking and seeking to live independent of God is actually a prison. And your emotions are the sign that you're in that prison. You see, this seemingly obscure topic about God's independency is actually very much about your sanity. Because it's it's about what it means for God to be God and for us to be creatures. It's about what does it actually mean for us to know and live for God's glory. Right thoughts about God lead to the proper heart worship of God that he deserves for his amazing uniqueness for his wonderful character. It honors God to admit he's the only independent one. And it appropriately humbles me. And I hope you. To think and speak and believe like we're actually not independent. Now you and I, we might foolishly speak to ourselves a false bad news gospel about our so-called independence, the gospel that's made visible here on the table. Uh, The gospel, though, speaks uh, a vastly better word than what we can tend to quietly speak to ourselves. You see, we can speak to ourselves a a bad news message, and this bad news message comes in, in two forms. One form of this bad news message is, you know, actually, and we We don't say this part out loud, but we hope that people will pick up on it. No, actually, I I am pretty great. Actually, quite capable and respectable, and so you should respect me, right? And so we, we speak one bad news message like that to ourselves. But the flip side of the coin looks very different, but they're actually very similar. I'll, I'll make the connection for you. There's this other bad news message that we speak to ourselves as well. You know, I'm so weak. I'm not really good at this. I'm not very effective. Really kind of shameful. But I wish I wasn't. Both of those bad news messages are forms of a proud independency. They're both wanting to be sufficient, wanting to be enough alone, apart from having God. And it's no wonder that those bad news messages are so difficult to live under. 
The Gospel, on the other hand, that's shown here in the table, speaks the message that the truly independent God, who is in need of nothing, looked at your need, looked at my need. And the Father sent Jesus to be what he had never been before, dependent. So that the rebellion of our supposed independency could be forgiven. That we could have Jesus living dependent in our place credited to us. A credited righteousness, we say. Why? So that we could be in the family of God forever. So that we could be forgiven of our striving, of our grasping for independence. And instead, we could, try and, we could find true freedom. Independence upon God. That's what grace is meant to draw us towards. And it's why you should declare freedom from your independence. Won't you? Let's pray together. Father, you are way, way above us. that makes us uncomfortable in some ways because it could make you hard to relate to. But I pray that for me and for all of us that we would, as Thomas Watson put it, that we would admire where we can't fathom. That we wouldn't proudly uh, suppose that if we can't understand fully that it's not true or it's not good or it's not real. For that is to elevate us and to bring you down. And that'll kill us. So forgive us for that. Help us to see how wonderful uh, you are that you've revealed yourself to be to us and help us to receive our smallness and our dependency and to joyfully live dependent for your glory and to enjoy it because it's what you made us for. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.